Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode of our show uh, where I get to interview and have conversations with incredible leaders and we have spoken to leaders from across the planet in all sorts of industries, leaders at the very top end of of their game and I'm very, very selective about the people that come on. Um, I look for those people, whether it's through social media or, you know, I get to find out about people through networking. But I look at those people that really inspire me, that that I I feel that there's an essence of something deep within their psyche and the work that they do that is hugely hugely, uh, representative of what emotional intelligence practice could look like. Well, today's guest is no less. Uh, Today's guest is a local person and I have been following her for a long time now. And I've never really had the courage to reach out to her before, albeit she's from my same city. So uh, I've now managed to muster up that courage. And uh, I have this incredible person in front of me. She has been an HR director, worked internationally in the organizations that she's worked in, but then had a significant mindset shift. We'll come into that in a short, short while. But now she has an organization called Calm in the Box. And uh, the work that she does with, around well-being within the corporate sector is just phenomenal. I'm really intrigued. I have been following her, but this is the first time ever that I'm going to have a conversation with her to find out more. I want to welcome to the show, Sarah Markham. Sarah, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, bless you. That was so kind. And thank you. I'm very honoured to to be on your podcast and yeah, thank you very much for saying what you've just said. That's really nice. I truly mean it. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. I have been meaning to to grab you and get you onto this show for a long time now. So thank you so much for taking time out. But listen, Calm. I just love the t- title of your program, Calm. I don't know much about it, but I get a sense of exactly what it is. And <laughs> yeah. I just love it. So you and I are very, very similar in so many ways, you know, organizational culture is so very important to me. I know that we have some synergy in terms of our thoughts because we've just had a secret conversation before this this show started. But tell me, Calm, you're an HR director working across international boundaries. So how did you go from being an HR director to starting all over again, basically, with an organization that you launched? Hopefully this bit won't go on too long. <laughs> Very long story. Um, but to try and make it kind of punchy. Um, yeah, so my background was in corporate HR um, and went into kind of corporate world because to kind of tick those boxes, I was very kind of keen to kind of have a career and and, and do the right things and climb that ladder and sort of prove myself. Um, and as you'll know, a lot of that's come from other stuff. <laughs> I wanted to prove, you know, me or what I did rather than kind of who I was. So 
so kind of like looking back that was probably a bit of a challenge in terms of it was all about what I was doing and focused on the task and climbing that ladder and ticking the boxes but I did have a great time and I was very lucky I had lots of really wonderful mentors I was involved in lots of great projects um, and huge amounts of change so wherever I went there seemed to be change going on and I'm sure I'm obviously not alone with that Um, but and ended up kind of doing lots of business transformation in kind of corporate world Um, and and from an HR perspective they're looking at people's strategy and supporting leadership uh, and also then latterly kind of specializing in employee engagement and leadership development Uh, so lots and lots around kind of how do you get the right kind of culture in place to get the best out of people within that corporate HR context Um, and yeah so then and then obviously that all changed so sort of really started when I had my daughter so she was a huge catalyst for my personal change uh, which I think I'm not alone um, and so I think that happens to lots of parents out there um, but really made me sort of stop and start to reflect on what was really important to me following this kind of sort of box ticking approach to life probably wasn't really starting to cut it um, and uh, that sort of seed was started to plant and I also did my coaching qualification down at Henley uh, very sort of soon after my daughter was born uh, and that started to plant some very similar seeds um, about kind of authentic living and uh, developing emotional intelligence as well so I in my kind of in the later years of my corporate career I'd taken on some quite big leadership roles uh, one in particular was probably ended up quite a very big role which was probably too big for me really and really kind of started to test um who I was as a leader rather than what I did and I think for a lot of leaders isn't it it's making that shift from being very good at what you do almost like an expert or very organized and sort of task focused very good at getting things done um to then leading people which is a very different uh, mindset behavior set of behavior completely different yeah absolutely yeah so letting go of that kind of real attachment to task and really focusing on who you're being and the relationships that you've got and how you inspire people and how you care about people I got into quite a lot of knots with that (laughs) It was a huge learning curve. Um, And then obviously all those sort of things coming together. Um, And then um, I had a really difficult time in my personal life. So um, ended up quite sick. Well, very sick, actually. Uh, Again, that's a very long story. Um, But yeah, I was very, very poorly with my back. And then... it did get fixed but at one point it was almost like I was potentially going to end up paralyzed um and I was sort of caught up in this system of how to sort of sort it out and I didn't really know what to do and one of the most heartbreaking things um obviously was that fear carrying that fear and that and that stress and that pressure constantly um and I knew all of that anxiety was going from my brain into my body and I just didn't know how to stop it I just didn't know what to do um and that made me feel really powerless in terms of you know there must be uh some more coping strategies that I can develop in terms of looking after myself and because one of the most heartbreaking pieces was that my daughter was two at the time and I couldn't actually pick up my daughter um which was you know made it really really difficult uh, to be to be the mum that I wanted to be, so that started to if you format, you know, why I wanted to make quite a big change, and so one thing kind of led to another, sort of, and there were lots and lots of difficult things that happened, and in the middle of that, I started creating these boxes and sending them to people. <laughs> and I really don't know why, because they knew before. Um, I just started putting these boxes together. I could see other people. Um, 
in sort of similar situations, particularly kind of, you know, people with very busy jobs, busy lives, problems at home, problems at work, and just not able to sort of slow down. What was in the boxes? I I kind of started to notice like different little pro- like products here, there and everywhere and some really like great products um, that would be really kind of uplifting um, in kind of all sorts of senses. So to look at, to smell, to taste, taste. And it was almost like you seeing them as a catalyst for behaviour change almost, I guess, in our, in our sort of world, in our sort of speak. Um, so things like a candle or... Um, a uh, sleep spray or or a little treat so I just packaged them up and they look really cute I thought they look really cute and I would just then sort of gift them so I was a big gift big gifter um, and I would buy all different things and I thought actually this is a nice gift because there's almost that slowing down message and take care of yourself and being kind to yourself and this is before that I knew about a lot of this stuff and how important it was in terms of looking after our brain and body system but it started to get me addicted to research around well-being particularly around um, mental um, you know looking after our brain health and our mental health uh, and then the link the brain and the body connection and uh, just basically became addicted to, to it all <laughs> as a side project. So it was very much like my pet passion, um, but I couldn't put it down. And it became sort of a real passion project. Um, started an Instagram, started doing lots of photos. So when I'd be out walking and I would sort of see kind of what I call calm moments, I would be capturing them for my Instagram. Um, obviously, social media is a very, um, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. But it was for me to channel again my energy into something positive in a real Really difficult time. Um, I started a blog and a newsletter and then it sort of started to kind of grow a little bit from there. There were a few kind of key things that happened and it was almost like the universe keep telling me stay with this even though it was very much counter to my whole approach to life and work had, that had been previously uh, in terms of very structured. Uh, and then obviously 2020 happens um, we all know what happened in 2020 lots of people and particularly workplaces starting to talk about a lot of this stuff that I've been learning about and putting into practice uh so it felt again like very kind of um serendipitous I guess to start to bring it together um and I knew that I could make the biggest difference a lot of this for now is where and how can I make the biggest difference um and really help serve Um, and use my skill sets and my expertise and my knowledge to serve Um, and uh, finding that through in terms of my professional expertise how do we create a proposition to help work with organizations but really get to the core of how do you create a space which is really going to get the best out of your people. You you and I were talking earlier on about uh, the the culture the foundation of any organization and um, uh, and, and the way I see it is that there's so much synergy in terms of the work that we both do. My work is all around emotional intelligence, uh, and that is what we we specialize in. And often organizations and leaders will talk about emotional intelligence. Hey, I've heard all about emotional intelligence before. <laughs> but they haven't really delved into emotional intelligence to any great depth. We work at a real granular level of emotional intelligence. Uh, but with calm... That is all around how do you create, what is well-being? So, you know, this this phraseology of well-being has been used an awful lot. And I come across this all, all the time with my client groups, uh, particularly since 2020, as you say. But well-being, what is it? And what you're doing is you're breaking down this whole concept of well-being and you're delivering that through calm. Trying uh, to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Another thing that we, we both said earlier on is uh, as much as we want to help every organization, every leader out there, uh, it's nigh on impossible to do that purely and simply because we will only truly be able to help those organizations and those leaders who get it, who understand it, who truly want to bring about a change within their own own, 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 own organization. And we've both been there. I'm sure you've been there as well, where you engage in a client, uh, you start doing the work that you're doing with the passion that you have, but then halfway through you see they're just ticking a box. And there's nothing more frustrating when you come from a value place yourself. Uh, and you must get that as well. Yeah, it's, it is tricky. And it's definitely been about finding those early adopters. But I think what's happened, you know, there's been a lot of talk about this, isn't there, in terms of what's happened since the pandemic, that group of early adopters that are really starting to take this stuff seriously and it is serious this is not you know I think this is the next phase for well-being in inverted commas you know well-being is a problematic word because it almost puts so much mystery you know what actually is it and what does it actually mean um and you know it can feel a bit kind of out there and a bit sort of woo-woo and a bit hippy-dippy and it's also a bit nebulous yes it can be it's very much catch-all yeah a bit like diversity we had a conversation around diversity what is diversity and for me, diversity is not just about having people looking different. It's about people thinking differently in your organisation. That's what's truly going to make the change. That's true diversity. So what is true well-being for you? That's exactly it. So calm, the calm model is the handrail that we use. And that is a thinking system, ultimately. And it is trying to move organisations away from ticking that box, which is a great thing to do, don't get me wrong. So in terms of having initiatives, uh, sharing information, signposting research, you know, mental health first aid training, all really great stuff. Um, but does it actually start to really shift culture and behaviour? Because that's only then when that investment around the initiative stuff is going to really start to take hold and make a difference. Um, so, and how do you do that? And again, it's difficult because you need to create time and space. So time is one of the biggest barriers, I think, for leaders around investing and, 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 uh, and taking on calm. Uh, much more actually than the money a lot of the time is literally time and this comes back to the whole kind of ethos of calm which is the balance between doing and being so culturally and in the western world and in the 21st century workplace everything is skewing us towards this doing being in this doing uh, state you know where we're constantly switched on you know we've got all these crazy relationships with to-do lists um you know that never end now and how do you start to deconstruct that and break that down and create the space and time to look at um culture and essentially for me that's the set of stories that are going on with the organization so it's the words and pictures in people's heads and you know culture and organizations are just a group of people essentially it's yeah. a community of people and and what are the stories that are running through those people's heads uh in terms of their thoughts and their feelings and how they then impact on behavior and then the outcomes that organization is getting and if we can start to work that backwards and get to the, the core of that and the root of that you can then start to really make change for the better and the better in the sense of not only for the business but also for the people i love that i love how you are the the issue around time for for, for the as a first point of note really I'm hearing um, more and more, and I've just completed a cultural audit for an organization of 1,400 people. Uh, and one thing that I heard more and more was that we have never been as busy as we are right now, as we have been over the last two years. You know, work from home, when people talked about working from home, it was almost 
an ideological sort of standpoint is great. You know, we, we get to spend time with our families. We get to work in our own environments. We're more inspired to do more work. But actually what we're finding now with work from home is that there is this innate culture within organizations. And I don't think it's necessarily a conscious thing that's happening. It's an unconscious behavior that's occurring where there's a higher expectation from people who are working from home. You have got back-to-back meetings. You literally have no breathing space between one meeting to the next meeting. People are saying that my my whole working day is nothing but meetings. So I then have to work a couple of three hours later on in the day to get the work done that I'm supposed to do. I think that's a real big thing. And that's really impacting on well-being as this, we're going to use that for want of a better phrase, but that's really impacting on mental health and well-being. Uh, but I think the, the other thing uh, really for me is around the norms of organizations, the cultures that exist within organizations. And now is the greatest time, I think, to, to do a finger on the pulse kind of test with your organizations and say, what kind of culture is creeping in? This, this culture that we didn't even know was there. We had no intention of creating it, but it's been created. We have been through this life-changing two years and that has changed organizations because organizations, as you quite rightly say, are nothing more than a community of people. It's a community of human beings and human beings will bring whatever baggage and experiences they have outside of the workplace into the workplace. We've all been through a lot in the last two years. So I would have thought more and more people would be reaching out to you and saying, hey, we need you. And this is this is the you know this almost this perfect storm that's come together, hasn't it? Which um, it, it, because you're absolutely right, and the reason why people have never been busier, and it's that's not going to stop or get any better, by the way, unfortunately. And that's something we call out with with the people that we work with, uh, and that's also another kind of reason why it's so important to change because it's almost that all those traditional systems and traditional structures and traditional mindsets that we're now overlaying in this kind of digital age and beyond, where you know we can't approach work in the same way as we did traditionally um but we're still trying to um but then what's also happened is everybody's gone through this you know collective life-changing experience of the pandemic and uh, started to realize that that's not really necessarily how you know it's not sustainable and it's not going to get the best out of us so what do we do differently so there's almost that kind of individual signal for change and on top of that you've got millennials and gen z coming through who absolutely don't want to work the way that we have you know they are have very different expectations and very different you know demands from 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 work and from life and, and looking again to make that that change and that shift um and how do you do it that's where we use calm to sort of say you know calm gives you that guide that guideline that handrail to start to think about how do you create a different type of culture uh, but starting with you know because your thoughts and your in your stories in your heads are driving you down that traditional path we work with a lot of people who feel that they can't take a break until their to-do list is completed and again their sense of validation and am I good at my job but I am good at my job if I complete my to-do list and you know one of the truths now is you're never going to complete your to-do list in the 21st century because tech plays such a huge role you know and again that's going to evolve with AI in everything we do so the tech is is so much faster and quicker than the human brain so the human brain can't compete with tech 
which means if you're kind of trying to stay on that productivity track all day long, your brain is just going to burn out, and which is you know kind of what's happening, isn't it? Because the brain needs to be able to take time out to rest and rebalance to continue to be able to function effectively. And actually, we're looking for people to be creative and innovative and build great relationships. Those are all kind of behaviours and skill sets that require us to be in balance and to be rested. So if we don't start to kind of make that change, you know, the culture takes over us rather than us being in control of the culture. Let me just unpick some of what you've just said there, because there's a lot that you've packed in there, and all of which I think are big issues. I often say that we're shoehorning old cultures into a new environment. The the landscape has shifted so much over the last two years. And what many, many of us are trying to do, many organisations are trying to utilise their own the old culture that was fit for purpose back then. But in the last two years, everything has changed and trying to shoehorn it. It's almost like trying to put a, a, a circle through a square and force it through. It's not going to happen and people are not going to operate at their very, very best. Uh, the the issue that you talked about the generational um, uh, context and you know the great resignation has demonstrated if there's one thing that we've got from this whole idea of the great resignation is that people are going to vote with their feet when it doesn't meet their values if they don't feel safe and valued in the workspace uh, which is why diversity is so very important if they don't feel valued in the workplace they're going to vote with their feet and go elsewhere so we need to understand that these people are not voting with their feet because their values have necessarily changed. Some of these people are voting with their feet because they come from a different generational context. You know, Gen Z, millennials, they don't think like the Gen Xs, uh, which is the traditional mindset of the organisations as we know it right now. So another argument as to why organisational organisations need to now start to to, to re-engineer in their cultures and really look afresh as to what kind of cultures they want around them. So there's just so much that's going on. And, and I love the phrase that you use around the perfect storm. I think we are in this incredibly perfect storm right now where so many ingredients have come together to create this, this sort of uh, disruption. And now it's beginning to settle. We need to, we need to find out how we're going to settle with it. So let's talk about leadership, Sarah. What, is the ideal leader that you think is much needed in today's context? So the, the core of calm is all this concept of balance. So, you know, in a lot of my work, the kind of really important thing for the leader con to consider is their, um, their um, behaviour as a role model. So we talk a lot about the shadow of the leader, so the shadow that that leader casts. And if they want to make kind of some kind of positive shift um, and start to create a culture, co-create a culture with their people, which is going to get the best out of everybody, they've almost got to lead, lead that from the front, really. Um, and those are kind of where well, I go back to those early adopters. We've got more and more people in that pot now because they've had very often some kind of personal experience so I'm exactly the same you know I I, I sort of approached work very traditionally beforehand uh, but went through this personal experience which made me start to really think you know there's got to be a different different better way so I think understanding that the power that leaders have in terms of the influence and the impact they have just by role modeling uh, different behaviors but this you know what's the biggest challenge is that the leaders are just busier than everybody else they've just got a bigger to do they've got everyone else's to-do list on their own and that's again how it's got to really start to to change in that um that concept of being present 
uh, is you know equally import as important as you know getting lots of stuff done um, and how do they find that that balance that's really I think at the heart of uh, how leaders are going to navigate through this effectively I think that's really wise wise words there uh, there was one other thing uh, around leadership that is a bit of a bugbear of mine and you mentioned it right at the very very start where we talked about um, the skill sets that a leader needs and how uh, a leader is less about doing more about influencing, more about the relationships that you build with individuals. Uh, and I see this in so many organizations where because you're really, really good at sales or you're really good at marketing or you're really good at, I don't know, driving performance, suddenly you get promoted to become a leader. Yeah, the promotion of the technical expert. Absolutely. And and then you you promoted way beyond your level of competence. And nobody's actually equipped you with the skills of a leader or advised you as to what the skill sets should be of a leader. And I think many, many people struggle as a consequence of that. But leadership for me is less about doing. It's more about thinking. It's more about building relationships, more about influencing. And in order to influence and build skills and relationships, you need to have a lot of the skills that we're talking about right now. And I think on top of that, it's a lot about letting a lot of them go. So it's a, it's like, and again, it's the whole of the wellbeing journey. It's a whole new set of muscles and actually stopping using some of those muscles that you've been really relying on, isn't it? And I think, again, that's sort of really hard. And this is why, you know, how much support do leaders get uh, on this journey? It's, it's really, really critical factor, you know. Uh, and obviously, there's lots of great leadership programs and lots of organisations invest, which is brilliant. And that absolutely needs to continue because it's 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 really it's not as simple as just having some people reporting into you, is it? I think you know sometimes like we just go, oh, now we just turn on that on that organisational chart. I've now got a little line and these people that that line up to me actually is massive, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a massive transformation and there's a lot about unlearning as well as and relearning. You'll, you'll remember some of the leadership programmes that you perhaps went on back in the day. Uh, and I, I certainly remember a lot of the ones that I went on. Uh, and I remember on many of the leadership programmes, I was just, it, basically, I was just pummeled with management models and leadership. Models yes. And, <laughs> and technical skills. And I think, I think the world has moved on and, uh, you know, with the programmes that I deliver when it comes to leadership development, it's all around relationship building. Uh, it's all around understanding how you can have difficult conversations and why difficult conversations are important. Uh, it's around understanding how you build rapport and how you main, maintain balance in your own life. And it's similar to what Calm is doing uh, in terms of this issue around balance is so critical because, again, we come back to the point that we're human beings and we're as fallible as the next person. And, and I think... The, the new and emerging leaders, Sarah, I, I find that they, they are more prepared to talk about vulnerabilities now than ever before. They'll tell stories, don't they? I mean, we've all got stories that are incredible. It, it's so powerful, so important. Yeah, because people want an emotional connection, don't they? For people to change, something needs to happen on that thoughts and feelings level and have that emotional resonance. And, and that's what, you know, again, leaders are starting to recognise. Let's assume that, uh, you know, I'm an organisation, I want to bring you in and I want you to do some work with my team, but I don't really know what, what it is that you, 
What would you say to me in terms of the benefit that calm would bring to my team? Yes, it's taken me a while to figure this out myself. <laughs> the work in progress. But essentially, you know, we're trying to drive that innovation and that culture change um, with organisations who really want to differentiate themselves through the health and well-being of their people and finding that sense of balance and taking on that core philosophy that to do well, you need to be well. And it's not an either or. It's not, you know, when we've got all of the work done, then we might go and do some, um, you know, do some yoga or have some free fruit uh, it's actually uh, both and it's that for us to really thrive as an organization we've got to make sure everybody is in the best place they can be and how is the workplace supporting that um, and I think there's kind of three key reasons why workplaces come to calm in the box so the first one is if they feel they've got a culture where they're having kind of problems around people's stuff so uh, moving away from a culture which might be inadvertently causing challenges like burnout um, disengagement people are demotivated where there might be conflict uh, with people with themselves um, so on an individual level when we work one-to-one it's often a lot of conflict people have with themselves me included lots of <laughs> often our own get on our own way what's that phrase isn't it get out of your own way um so whether that there are those kind of challenges which which organisations want to work on. The second one is, just as you've said, it's where organisations are looking to kind of go through some kind of change. Uh, so kind of two angles to that. So trying to navigate change, which is, you know, transformation takes up a lot of energy. Um, and how do you kind of fit that on top of everything else? And particularly with the journey people have been on. So how do we kind of help help support people go from A to B when they're probably already carrying a lot, uh, but the business needs to kind of make some kind of resets. Uh, and the second angle, you know, a lot of organisations looking to do that after the pandemic. So, but again, where people have, have been through that um, in whatever form, um, you know, and then the business is now going, right, what do we do next? Uh, making sure that they're supported. And then the third reason is where organisations are looking for kind of high performing teams, develop high performing teams. So seeing Calm as an enabler, an enabler really of like that high performance, creating high performance culture um, where people can kind of be the best they can be uh, to be brilliant at work and at home. So there you go. The whole spectrum, really. If you've got problems or you anticipate problems within your organisation, bringing Calm. If you, if you want to drive culture, the right kind of culture, bringing Calm. If you want to take it to the next level and create leaders of the future, you want to speak with Sarah Markham. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, I think that you're going to do great things ahead. But thanks very much for being with us here today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.